into the, been in a situation to receive wonderful things from others, gifts, favors, uh, kindness showed toward us. It's always a great encouraging blessing when people we know care for us and do for us things that are that express their feelings of, of affection for us. That's a, a wonderful thing. And typically, when we have that sort of relationship with someone, they do us a great favor or kindness, then we look for an opportunity to do one for them as well. In fact, we even have an expression, don't we? We call it returning the favor. You did something nice for me. I want to try to do something nice for you. And that's all good. Uh, that, that's very nice. Maybe you've got a particularly big job uh, that has to be accomplished, maybe some repair work around your house or something of that nature, uh, and someone volunteers to help you. Or maybe for that, uh, uh, for that matter, you're right in the middle of it. I mean, you're covered in, in dirt and dust and you're slaving away trying to accomplish it, and, and this friend of yours just shows up. He knew, he knew you were going to be doing that today, and, and he just shows up to do, oh man, isn't, that's, that's just fine. That's just wonderful to have those kind of relationships and to get those kinds of kindnesses and favors from the people we know and we care for them, they care for us, and it's a wonderful thing. It's more rare to receive a benefit or a kindness from someone who's a stranger to you. You don't know them. You don't know them at all. And yet they step up to do something nice for you. It's not that you deserved it because you didn't even maybe know this person or certainly didn't have any relationship with him. You didn't necessarily deserve this because there hadn't been this exchange of favors and kindnesses one toward another. There has been no reciprocity, if you want to use that word. You didn't do for them. They just, out of the blue, did for you. You know, one of the things that we hear about these days is people going through the drive through window at a fast food store. And... And you, I've had this happen, and I imagine some of you have had this happen. You pull up to the window, and the gal who's supposed to take your money says, the car in front of you already paid for you. Oh man, that is, that's, just, that's just pretty amazing, isn't it? To receive a kindness of that nature. You didn't deserve it. You didn't, you didn't do anything uh, that would have caused that person to want to do that, for, but they just did it anyway. That, that is really extra special when someone does that sort of thing. Today, we want to talk along those lines, the second kind of concept. We want to talk about the greatest gift of all, that without deserving and when we were totally unworthy, God manifested his grace toward us. We want to spend some time this morning talking about grace. God's grace is so important. We just sang the song, Amazing Grace, that talks of that grace of God. It's so important, so vital for us, and we want to spend a few minutes this morning talking about the grace of God. It is something truly amazing. Let's stop here for just a minute to say thank you for all who are present. We have a good number together this morning. We're glad you're here. Glad for any and all visitors who are with us today. We appreciate you. Come back whenever you can. As we worship and study together this morning, make sure that as we study along, we're using the Scriptures properly and accurately, and we're not twisting or perverting the Word of God. We don't want to do that. never want to do that. Uh, so if you see any mistake or issue along those lines, please bring that to our attention. But on the other hand, in so much as we're able to accurately understand the things found in God's Word, let's all listen with an ear toward making application in our lives. Let's talk about the grace of God. When we define God's grace, 
We often talk about the fact that it is undeserved. It's sort of like that guy in the drive-thru window ahead of me. He paid for my meal. I didn't even know him. I certainly didn't deserve for him to be paying for my meal, but he did anyway. It was an undeserved act of kindness. Well, that's just a minor illustration of the overwhelming nature of God's grace toward us. We certainly did not deserve what God has done for us. A lot of times when we're defining grace, we call it the unmerited favor of God. I think that's a good definition, too. Unmerited, not deserved. We did not deserve it. Uh, in fact, if you really want to calculate this, we deserve just the opposite of what God did for us. So it's, it's undeserved, uh, the favor of God toward us. In Psalm 97, verse 11, it says, The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Notice, the Lord will give grace. And so here's, here's what we're talking about. That which comes from God. And notice, in conjunction with that, the psalmist says, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. So the grace of God involves all things that are good. He provides everything that is good by his grace. Now that's an all-encompassing kind of statement. And in James chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And so, everything good that we have in life, all the blessings of life that we enjoy are from God, and we don't deserve them. And I think that would incorporate all the physical blessings of life that we have. Uh, the very air we breathe, the water we drink, the clothes we wear, the houses we live in. Uh, our health, our prosperity, our freedoms. I mean, the, the list, you just go on and on about all the good things that God gives. All these good things are from God. And, and so, up here in Psalm 97, notice that all good things, no good thing will he withhold from his grace. And so, grace there uh, is equated with everything that is good that comes from God. It certainly includes our physical blessings of life, but more particularly, it certainly involves the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, I thank my God always on your behalf. Notice, for the grace of God given to you by Christ Jesus. And so here, Paul is especially emphasizing God's grace relative to the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Now, clearly, absolutely, and without doubt, those spiritual blessings in Christ are absolutely undeserved by us. God did this for us through Christ, but not because we were so wonderful and deserved it. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so, there's the undeserved nature, the unmerited favor, if you will, in regards to the spiritual blessings that we have available in Christ Jesus. It wasn't anything that we did that deserved this. In fact, the psalmist asks a powerful question in Psalm 8, verse 4. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? It just doesn't, it doesn't compute, does it? There's nothing about us that would have called upon God to do these things for us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't, there was no merit in us, but he did it anyway. And that, of course, is the grace of God. And so, a great definition of grace, unmerited favor, it was certainly undeserved. But what makes it also amazing is that it provides for us the things that we could never provide for ourselves. 
You might think about any given thing. You might think, well, if I work real hard, I can do it. If I work real hard, I can get there. And when it comes to these things that we're talking about concerning God and what He's done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ, maybe if I just work real, real hard, I can achieve this on my own. No. That's never going to happen. No matter how hard, how long I worked, I would never be able to achieve the things that God has made possible for me through His Son, Jesus Christ. Grace does what we can't do for ourselves. In the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 18, Daniel was praying to God. Now, remember, Daniel was among those captives from Judah who had been taken into Babylonian captivity. Uh, and he was anticipating that the prophecies about Judah being restored back to their homeland were about to come to pass. There, there was going to be a period of captivity, but at the end of that, the people of Judah would be allowed to return home and rebuild Jerusalem. And Daniel could see that these things were, were transpiring and that that was going to come to pass. And so he's praying. He's praying to God for these kinds of favors. And he says in Daniel 9, verse 18, O oh my God, incline thine ear and hear, open thine eyes, for we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness' sake, but for thy great mercies. Daniel said, we really don't, we don't have a reason to expect that you would do this for us. Uh, it's not because we've worked so hard. It's not because we've been so good. It's not because we have just been wonderful people. We're just trusting in you for your great mercies. And that's the way it is with us, too. Uh, God's grace is unmerited, and it provides for us what we could not accomplish ourselves. Ephesians 2, verse 8, beginning... For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, here's grace. Through grace you are saved through faith. We believe that, don't we? Saved by grace through faith. There's another expression here that Paul uses when he says, It's not of works, lest any man should boast. We absolutely believe that we are saved by grace through faith. And the kind of works that Paul has in mind here, it's not about our works that saves us. It's God's grace through faith. Not of works. What kind of works, Paul? Well, he defines what kind of works he's talking about. Works, the nature of which we could boast or brag about. We're not saved by any works of the kind which we could say, look at me. Look what I've done. I've earned this. I deserve it. Paul says there aren't any works like that. We're saved by grace through faith, and there aren't any works. There are no works. There's no amount of works that you could accumulate or pile up whereby you could earn your salvation. It's not of works. It's not the kind of works that you could do to brag about. And so, again, we simply emphasize this, this is doing for us what we're not capable of doing for ourselves. God's grace is available to everyone. Another of the things that makes this so amazing is that God's grace is for everyone. I don't think this is totally believed in the religious world. There are some people who teach that certain people are pre-selected, predestined, foreordained to salvation. We don't think that's true. We believe that's a false doctrine in the religious world. The Scriptures tell us that the grace of God is available to all, and that's really an amazing thing. You know, there are some things in this world that are pretty amazing when you stop to think about it. Things that men have invented, the advance of modern technology is quite amazing. And we are, we are uh, the beneficiaries of a lot of that. A lot of what we, I mean, we have, our lives are so easy based upon things that we have access to. But there's still some things out there that, 
that are really amazing that men have invented. We, and we, we're not, they're not accessible to us. For instance, uh, if you're one of the people who has to commute to Nashville to work and get in that rush hour traffic, oh man, what a nightmare. I mean, some days it's just like pull your hair out. Wouldn't it be nice to have a private helicopter to pick you up at your house and deliver you to a private landing spot right where you need to be in Nashville? Fly over all of that rush hour traffic. Wouldn't that that be neat? I don't qualify for that, though. That's never going to happen. It'd be nice to have, but I'm not going to qualify for that. Never going to happen. So, there are good things that are, that are, are possible, but not, maybe we can't access them. We can't get them. But in regards to God's grace, it's for everybody. Notice in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God, he should taste death for every man. For every man. Those who teach that idea that only certain select people will be saved, that's not what the Bible teaches. There are a whole lot of verses that teach that we all have opportunity to experience the grace of God. Jesus tasted death for every man. And so we could go on, or we could stop right here. If we wanted to talk about the amazing grace of God, we could stop right here with what we've already discussed. It is incredible, and we should be constantly thankful for it. We should never forget. Some have suggested maybe that we don't emphasize in our teaching enough about the grace of God. And if that's the case, then we certainly need to correct that. We need to spend lots of time talking about the wonderful grace of God toward us and what it does, what we could never achieve on our own. Uh, It's just so important, and we do not want to be guilty of de-emphasizing or under-emphasizing under-emphasizing, uh, the grace of God. We, we are rejoicing and grateful for what God has done for us when we didn't deserve it. But having said that, I think we also have to point out some concerns, because there's a good bit of false teaching in the religious world about grace. Uh, certainly many in denominational religions have false ideas about grace. I'm concerned to say that even some of our own brethren are beginning to say things that suggest a, a, a misunderstanding, a misapplication. Just They're just wrong sometimes about things they say concerning grace. And so we have to point out grace is amazing, but it doesn't just do everything. For instance, grace doesn't mean that we don't have to do anything to be saved. There are some people who suggest that, that grace just covers it. That by God's grace we will be saved, and the implication is there's nothing you need to do. And what you have to do is is not essential toward being saved. That's just not so. Look at the book of Acts. The book of Acts, sometimes we refer to the book of Acts as the book of conversions. Literally thousands of people became Christians, and their stories are recorded for us in the book of Acts. And on the very first day that the gospel was preached in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, when they heard Peter and the apostles, when they heard that they had personally been responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. It says they were pricked in their hearts, said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They realized their guilt, and they said, what shall we do? Well, if if it's just a matter of grace, Peter's response would have been, you don't have anything to do. It's all done for you. God's grace covers it. You're okay now. 
But of course, the very next verse, verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. They weren't told there's nothing to do because of God's grace. They were told what they had to do. In Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul, before he was converted, he was on the road to Damascus, he trembling and astonished, chapter 9, verse 6 of Acts, he trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Saul of Tarsus wasn't told, well, it's okay now. By God's grace, everything is fine, and you don't have to worry. No, there were things that he must do. Go into the city, it will be told thee what thou must do. In chapter 16 of Acts, we read about Paul and Silas who are in the prison in Philippi. And in the middle of the night, there's an earthquake. And the jailer thinks all of his prisoners have escaped. He's about to commit suicide. But they stop him. Paul calls out, stops him. And he, the jailer, called for light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul's answer wasn't, there's nothing to do to be saved. God's grace takes care of that. You're okay. Just trust in God's grace. That's all that matters. He didn't tell him that, did he? They took him, they taught him, he was baptized in the same hour of the night. And so in all of those kind of things, we see the clear point that God has made salvation possible. By his grace, he sent his son Jesus, who died on the cross and shed his sacrificial blood there. We did not deserve that. But he did that. God has made salvation possible. But there are also things necessary for us to do in order to access that. And our obedience is necessary. And so those who would suggest grace means you don't have to do anything, they just completely missed it on that, haven't they? Specifically, uh, they say that obedience is unnecessary, that, that obedience is just not really important when you think of God's grace, his undeserved or unmerited favor. Obedience, obedience, really isn't all that essential at all. Well, let's see if we can analyze that by looking at what Paul wrote to the Christians at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. He starts the epistle out talking about grace. If I counted right 20 times in First and Second Corinthians, Paul mentions the grace of God. So clearly, the idea of grace was a theme that Paul developed when he was writing to the brethren at Corinth. But I want you to notice real quickly several places where he also talked about the essential nature of obedience. Circumcision is nothing, but uncircum—excuse me, circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Notice, but the keeping of the commandments of God, commandment keeping, grace does not forego commandment keeping. In chapter 11, verse 1. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Keep the ordinances. Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, To this end also did I write that, you, that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things. So Paul talks about grace to the Corinthians. Twenty times he mentions grace. But he also mentions keeping the commandments, keeping the ordinances, obedient in all things. And from that, we would have to conclude that those two things are not contradictory to one another. 
The impression that some would give us is that grace and required obedience are contradictory. You can't do both. You can't, you can't have both. But the Scriptures teach nothing of that sort. And so grace doesn't mean that obedience is unnecessary, and specifically baptism. Part of that obedience includes baptism. But some would suggest, and they're pretty adamant about this, that grace would especially mean that you don't have to be baptized in order to be saved. Seems like there's this real determination on the part of a lot of religious people to argue against baptism, to preclude baptism. Baptism is not required. It's not important. It's not essential. We're saved by grace, they would say. Saved by grace through faith. We believe that. But that faith is faith that leads us to obedience, and specifically one of those elements of obedience would be baptism. We're not trying to overemphasize baptism or say that baptism is the be-all and end-all. Baptism is important. It's not any, important, any more important than any other requirement of God, but it is a part of his plan for our salvation. But some people have this idea that if there is grace, then we don't even have to think about baptism. In the text that Arthur read for us earlier from Titus chapter 3, beginning verse 4, notice that after the kindness and love of God our Savior uh, uh, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of God. Well, there's grace. So Paul mentions grace in conjunction with our salvation. He also mentions the, the kindness and love of God, right? certainly important. He talks about his mercy toward us. By his mercy, he saved us. All that's important, right? Grace, kindness, love of God, his mercy. But notice, in, in conjunction with this, he speaks of the washing of regeneration. The washing of gener regeneration. And I think all commentators who, at least those who have any sense of what they're talking about, will agree that there's a statement that includes baptism. So in a very passage where he talks about grace and kindness and love and mercy, he mentions the washing of regeneration. Baptism is in there. We could talk a lot more about that. But grace does not mean that baptism is not essential. Furthermore, Grace doesn't mean that doctrinal differences are irrelevant. A lot of people have come to the conclusion that it doesn't really matter. You believe, I believe, grace covers everything else. And so you can believe what you want to believe, and I can believe what I want to believe, and our religious practices can be quite diverse. We can go in totally different directions, but that's okay, because grace just covers that. Doctrine doesn't matter. Grace will cover it all. Again, that's not true. I would argue that every New Testament book that mentions grace also emphasizes the importance of doctrine, following the doctrine of Christ. I'll give you one example of that. Well-known passage in Galatians 1, beginning verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ into another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and will pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. 
Well, there's the grace again. That's what we're talking about this morning. But did you notice? They had been called into the grace of God. Now they were in danger because people were coming along and corrupting them by the false doctrines that they were teaching. And Paul said that simply could not be allowed. And so, uh, in that way, Paul emphasizes that doctrinal differences are important. They have to be addressed. Grace does not cover that. Finally, let me suggest to you, grace does not mean that eternal salvation is assured. And I think this is an application that an awful lot of people would like to make about grace, and it's not true. They assume that once I have come into the grace of God, that then it's all done. That basically it's a, it's a sealed deal and I've got heaven no matter what happens thereafter. But again, the scriptures don't teach that. This is just one of those kind of things, an alarming perversion of the notion of grace that we're seeing a lot of in the world today. Notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, We then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Notice you could receive... He says, I don't want you to receive the grace of God in vain. The implication is you could receive the grace of God in vain. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Man could fail of the grace of God. Probably the clearest statement along these lines is a verse we use in Galatians 5, verse 4. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. We've pointed out so many times, you can't fall from something that you're not already in. You can't fall out of a boat if you aren't already in the boat. You can't fall from grace unless you're already in grace. So here were people who were in grace, but they could fall from grace. And that simply points out to us that even though God's amazing grace has been manifested toward us, it does not assure uh, eternal salvation. We have to continue to be faithful. And so we sing the song Amazing Grace, and it really is. Uh, I don't think we can even maybe even grasp it all in regards to how amazing that it is. Uh, amazing things that God has done for us through His Son, Jesus Christ, to make our salvation possible. Amazing, amazing grace. But understand uh, that it's necessary for us our response to that grace is essential. And some would downplay or de-emphasize the importance of our response to God's grace. We have to be careful about that. What's your situation this morning? Have you availed yourself of this amazing grace of God? Have you become a child of God? Jesus died on the cross, shed his blood for our atonement. God has put a plan in place whereby we can access the blood of Jesus shed for the forgiveness of sins upon hearing about that truth and believing it. If you repent of your sins and confess your faith in Jesus, be baptized for the remission of sins, you can have God's grace. And your, and your past sins can be forgiven. You can be brought into a relationship with Him currently. You can have the hope of heaven when this life is over. Amazing grace. Have you availed yourself of that? If not, we hope you make that decision without delay. If you're a Christian already, understand some of our last points where you can fall from that favored position. If you're not faithful to him, you can forego what God has done for you through Christ. And if you're a Christian who's fallen away, we bid you come back through repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing this song.